Good morning. It's good to see everyone today. We're glad that you're here. It's a beautiful day. We're grateful for the opportunity to be together. We hope and pray that our time together will be beneficial to all. We're grateful for the opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth. If you're visiting, we invite you to come back. We'd love to have you come, come back and be with us again at your earliest convenience. So grateful for the church here, the opportunity that we have to serve in this community. And if you're looking for a church home, as always, we invite you to consider the work at Olive Branch. We'd love to have you come and be a part of our family. I want to invite you to turn with me today to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, the passage that Jordan read a moment ago. Ephesians chapter 1, the book of Ephesians is probably one of the greatest books in the New Testament because it emphasizes Christ and his church. And really one of the great things about the book of Ephesians is that it underscores God's great grand scheme of redemption. And Paul, in a very concise and vivid way, talks about the great plan that God, in the long ago, drew up to save fallen humanity. So I want us to think for a moment or two about this great, grand scheme of redemption that is re revealed to us in the Scriptures. And as we think about what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter 1, let me just very briefly say this. When you look at the book of Ephesians, in the first three chapters... Paul accentuates the redemptive work of God in Christ. In chapters 4 through 6, he underscores the responsibilities that we have as a Christian to Christ. And so, as we look at our study today in Ephesians chapter 1, we want to consider for a moment or two this great redemptive work of Jesus on Calvary for us. I want to begin by talking about this marvelous plan of salvation. And some might ask the question, why? Why did God, in his infinite wisdom, drop a plan to save fallen humanity? Well, the answer is simply this, sin. God, in his infinite wisdom, and God is omniscient, he's all-knowing, God recognized that in creating man and endowing him with the ability to make choices in life would ultimately make wrong choices, thereby introducing sin into the human family, thereby calling for a savior. So as we talk about this marvelous plan of salvation, First, we need to understand that there was a need for this plan. The need eloquently stated by Paul in Romans chapter 3. And Paul would sum it up in verse 23 by saying, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In verses 9 and 10 in Romans chapter 3, Paul said, There is none righteous, no, not one. John would tell us in 1 John chapter 3 at verse 4, that sin is the transgression of the law. In other words, it is a violation of the will of heaven. And so, as Paul said, it is a universal problem. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there is this intrinsic need for a divine plan. The problem of sin, universal. But then also to recognize that there is a penalty associated with sin. 
Paul in Romans chapter 6 at verse 23 said the wages of sin is death. Isaiah many, many years earlier, about seven centuries before Christ came to earth, said that sin is what separates people from their God. And so because of sin, God recognized that man would need a redeemer. And so God in his wisdom decreed before the world began to save the human family from sin through Jesus Christ. So think with me for a moment or two about the nature of this plan. And I want to begin by talking about the author of our salvation. Look at verse 3. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. Now you can go back and look at many, many passages of Scripture that will emphasize the fact that God designed this plan before the world began. That's what he's saying in Ephesians chapter 1. That God decided long ago to save the human family from sin through his, through his son, Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, I'm reminded of the words of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1. When Peter said that we have been redeemed not by corruptible things, but by the precious blood of Jesus. He said, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish who verily was foreordained before the world began. Do you remember John said in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, that Jesus is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world? God recognizing that man would sin, that man would fall, thereby needing a Savior. And so God is the great author, the architect of this redemptive plan. So when man sinned in the garden, what did God do? Immediately, God began unveiling his redemptive plan. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we are introduced to the promised seed. And God began unveiling bit by bit, piece by piece, page by page, his plan to redeem the human family. And all those Old Testament prophets pointed to the coming of the Christ, the anointed one, the Savior, that is Jesus. So God is the author of the plan of salvation. But what about the agent of this plan of salvation? Well, listen again to what Paul said. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. In verse 5 he said he predestined us, and that is God decreed in the long ago, to save all who are in Christ. But now as we think about the agent of this plan of salvation. Paul said, having predestined us to adoption as sons, listen to him, by Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus Christ is the one identified in Scripture as the second member of the Godhead. He is the Word who became flesh, John 1, verse 14. And John said, look, we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came to redeem the human family. I mentioned Isaiah a moment ago. Isaiah talked about Jesus 
as the one upon whom the government would rest upon his shoulder. And he said, he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And then I think about as Jesus made his way into the world, born of Mary. Paul would write in Galatians chapter 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. That was Jesus, wasn't it? So Jesus was the one by whom this plan was executed. And so you think about the work of Jesus. Jesus, in effect, answered the call of God to redeem the human family. Isaiah chapter 53, in a very graphic way, Isaiah pictures the suffering servant who would bear the sins of the human family. So I think about this marvelous plan of salvation, but then secondly, and this is closely tied to this last point, the matchless person of salvation. Look at verse seven. Paul said, in him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Let me begin by first of all talking about the fact that Jesus is the one who saves us from sin, isn't he? Do you remember when Jesus, do you remember when Jesus was about to be born? When the angel of God announced to Joseph in a dream that Mary was going to have a child? And the angel said that she will bring forth a son. His name will be called Jesus, and he said, he will save his people from their sins. I think about the words of Jesus himself. When he said in Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to save the human family. He is the hub of our salvation, isn't he? Everything revolves around Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the hub of our salvation to the extent that if we're going to be saved, we have to be saved through him, in him. He is the hub of our salvation, and he is the only hope of our salvation. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What about Acts chapter 4, verse 12? Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So you think about Jesus coming to save. We sing the song sometimes, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Listen, he's in the saving business. In Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus was in the home of Matthew Levi, Matthew was a tax collector. And he had a lot of friends in his home on one occasion. And Jesus is in the home of Matthew and so the people want to know, why is it that your teacher is eating with publicans and sinners, with tax collectors? And Jesus said, look, those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Jesus came to save you and me. Listen, that's a personal thing, isn't it? When we talk about Jesus being the hub and the hope of our salvation, Without Jesus, we would be lost, wouldn't we? You think about what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. He said, and you has he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Talking about the fact that at one point in time, these people had been separated from God. Alienated from all the blessings and favors 
In verse 12, he said, look, you had no hope. You were without God. That's the state of all who are living in unbelief. And so Jesus is the Savior of mankind. Jesus came to save all people. Paul said, it's in him that we have redemption through his blood. So not only is Jesus our Savior from sin, but listen, he is our substitute for sin. Did you know that Jesus Christ redeemed us by his sacrificial blood? And not just his sacrificial blood, but his spotless blood. The Lord Jesus was sinless. And Jesus vicariously suffered, bled, and died for whom? For all of us. Paul would write in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul said, him who knew no sin, he became sin on our behalf. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. You remember Peter when Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1? When he said, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. He said, who did no sin, neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, threatened not, but committed himself unto him who judges righteously. Who his own self bore our sins in his body, listen to him, on the cross. Now we talk about the redemptive work of God. The fact that Jesus Christ is our Savior. And that he was our substitute for sin. If you go back and read the record of the death of Jesus from the eyes of Matthew. Do you remember the Bible says that after that horrific trial scene, Jesus, as you well know, stood before Pontius Pilate. And Pilate later had Jesus scourged, delivering him up to be crucified. And the Bible says as they were coming out, they compelled a man by the name of Simon to bear his cross. Jesus had literally been beaten to a pulp. They beat him. They mocked him. They spat upon him. In a very cruel and inhumane way, they mistreated him time and again. And as he made his way to Calvary, he fell beneath the load of the cross. And so they got a man by the name of Simon to bear that cross, and I would remind all of us that that cross that Jesus was bearing was our cross. Look, he was sinless. Jesus had not committed sin, but rather he was willing to die for us. He took our place, didn't he? In the sense that he became our substitute. Now, if you read the book of Ephesians, two things stand out. First, Jesus redeemed us by his blood. Listen to what he says. In him we have redemption through his blood. The Hebrew writer said without the shedding of blood there's no remission. We couldn't be saved separate and apart from the blood of Jesus. It took Jesus going to Calvary, shedding his blood so that we might have the hope of life eternal, right? Without, without the blood of Christ, where would we be? We would be lost. To show you the significance of the blood in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12, Paul said those who are outside a covenant relationship with God, they're without hope and without God in this world. But the difference is the blood of Christ, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off are brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you see the, the change? 
The blood of Jesus does what? It redeems us. Jesus bought us back by his own blood. He redeemed us by his blood and he reconciles us in his body. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, the Bible says that Jesus reconciled both Jew and Gentile alike in one body under God through the cross. You see, you go back and you look at God's plan. God decreed before time began to save the human family in Jesus Christ and in the church of Jesus Christ. The church exists according to God's eternal plan, Ephesians 3, 9 through 11. So when we obey the gospel, we enjoy redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We're saved people, aren't we? We're members of the body of Christ. And listen, as a result of that, Paul said we enjoy every spiritual blessing. Look at verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The phrase in Christ or its equivalent is found some 35 times in this book, which I think suggests to us the importance of being what? In Christ. Because all the blessings and favors that are spoken of in, in Scripture, we talk about all the treasures that are available to us, they're all available in Jesus Christ. Now there's a third thing I want you to see in our study, and that is this magnificent praise for the plan of salvation. Listen now to the words of Paul in Ephesians 1.6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. First, praise for the finished work of Christ. You know, when you, when you look at the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus in that garden, do you remember the struggle the conflict, the battle that was going on within the mind of Jesus. The Bible says he was distressed. Luke says he was in agony. And he is wrestling over the weight of the cross before, before going to Calvary. Jesus had prayed to the Father and said, I have finished the work which you've given me to do. Well, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is asking God. And he's saying, Lord, if there's any other way that your will can be accomplished, let it come to pass. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Now we talk about the finished work of Jesus. And on Calvary, what did Jesus say? It is finished. Suggesting to us the value of his marvelous grace. Listen, if you would, to what Paul says again in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. How much value do you place on the grace of God? Did you know that without the grace of God, we would be lost? The Bible says the grace of God has been manifested. Jesus Christ came and lived and died for us. God willing to intervene on our behalf and give his son. Paul would say over in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 7, listen to him. 
that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. He said, by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. He said, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast or glory. So, the tremendous premium that Scripture places on God's grace. The grace of God has appeared, as Paul said. God's grace makes it possible for us to enjoy a relationship with the Lord. Now, I think about the value of this grace, but the vastness of it. You might ask the question, do you mean to tell me that God would be willing to save me? Do you mean to tell me that with all of the things that I've said and done in my life, some of the places that I've been, some of my darkest hours in life, some of the things that I'm not proud of, do you mean to tell me that God, that God would have the ability to save me? That's exactly what I'm saying. In Romans chapter 5, verse 20, Paul said, where sin abounded, grace abounded, listen to him, much more. Do you remember the Apostle Paul when he wrote to Timothy and he talked about how, it had been, how he had been a persecutor, a blasphemer, how he had been injurious to the cause of Christ? He said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. But then he said, the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And then Paul could say, look, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. I think Paul's saying, look, I think he's saying to all of us in the human family, you need to understand that if you want to know what a sinner looks like, then you just need to look at my life. You need to see how I conducted myself, and you need to understand that if God in his grace and kindness could save me, he can save you. I believe that God has the ability to save all people. When the Apostle Paul went to the church at Corinth, or wrote to the church at Corinth, he had spent 18 months there according to Acts 18. And over that course of time, he had taught and preached the gospel time and again. And the people that lived in Corinth, they were poster children for sin, weren't they? You remember what he said? Know you not that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He said, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. He said, they won't inherit the kingdom of God. And he said, and such were some of you. Are people today living in immorality? Yes. Are there people today who are living lives of covetousness and idolatry? Again, the answer is yes. But you mean to tell me that God has the ability to save me no matter how bad, no matter how bad my past has been? That's exactly right. God has that kind of power. When Ananias came to Saul of Tarsus, you think about all the people that had been put to death as a result of the work of Saul of Tarsus. Those who had been bound, imprisoned, persecuted, stoned as Stephen was. And yet Ananias said, Saul, what are you waiting on? Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So we praise God 
for the finished work of Christ, but also we praise him for forgiveness in Christ. Paul said in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. I want you to know something. God can forgive any sin and he can forgive all sin. A-L-L. No matter what the sin, no matter the duration of that sin, God has the ability to forgive sins. He is in the forgiving business. Jesus came to earth so that you might be forgiven. Jeremiah talked about this great covenant that would be established. And the Hebrew writer picks up on it in Hebrews chapter 8. And he said, speaking of that covenant, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And he said, their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. God has the ability to forgive any sin. He has the ability to forgive all sin. So if you're in sin, let me tell you what, take heart. Because Jesus saves. And he can save you from any sin, all sin. Not only does God forgive sin, but the Bible tells us he forgets our sins. In other words, he no longer holds our sins against us. The Hebrew writer said, I'll be merciful to your unrighteousness. And he said, your sins and your iniquities, listen to him, I will remember no more. You know, there are a lot of folks in our world today, they're not proud of their past. There's some things I've done in my life I'm not proud of. Would I like to somehow go back and redo some of my past mistakes? You better believe it. We all know that it's not possible to go back and just start over like that. But you know, the Bible talks about the new birth. We can be born again. The new birth is followed by a new beginning, isn't it? So you think about all who are in Christ. I mentioned just a moment ago the people in Corinth. The fact that they had lived in immorality, in idolatry. So when Paul writes his second letter, you know what he said? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That means in Christ Jesus, you have a new beginning. You have a new start. You got a clean slate. You can start over, can't you? There are people that will end their life today in this world because of where they are unhappy, discontent, dissatisfied, angry, bitter. They feel as if they failed. They failed themselves. They failed others. They feel as if there's no hope. They are living without hope. And what the Bible says is, look, if you're in Christ, there's hope. There's hope for you. Don't leave here today thinking that there's no hope because there is hope. The hope's in Christ, isn't it? So you think about, we praise God. What? For the finished work of Christ, we praise Him for our forgiveness. We praise Him for our family in Christ. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1 that God predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible says in verse 17, that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Look, if you're a child of God, you belong to the family of God. Over in Ephesians 2 verse 19, listen to what Paul said. Now therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but rather fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You belong to God's family. There are people in our world today, they feel displaced. There are some that would say, you know what? I don't have a family. 
Some have no idea who their biological father is. They don't know who their biological mother is. There's no sense of family. There's no sense of fellowship, of togetherness. And what Paul is saying is, look, if you're in Christ, you've got a family. And I'd say this, that those of us here at Olive Branch, we have a family. We are a family together, aren't we? We work together. We worship together. We serve together. Why? Because we belong to the family of God. And then there's a, there's a fourth thing I would add. We're going to praise him for our future in Christ. Did you know as a Christian you've got the brightest future of all? I mean, you think of it, you know, there are a lot of people in our world today, they look out across the span of time and they think about where they are in life and they say, you know what, life, life doesn't, doesn't appeal to me. I don't have much of a future. All I see is pain and suffering and turmoil. And yet, if you're a Christian, you can see beyond that, can't you? No, Paul said, we don't look at the things which are seen, but rather we look at the things which are not seen. He said, the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. He said, for we know that if this earthly house, this, this tabernacle or tent be destroyed, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Where are you planning to spend eternity? If you're in Christ, you're going to heaven, aren't you? You think about what Peter said, that we have an inheritance. He said it's incorruptible, it's undefiled, it fades not away. And here's what he said, it's reserved in heaven for you. Many of us like to travel. We'll make plans and preparation to take that trip. We'll line up a hotel to stay in. We walk in and we say, I've got reservations. Say, so let me get you your key, you're ready to go. Let me tell you what, when you became a child of God, you enlisted in the greatest, you became a member of the greatest family known to man. And really, as a child of God, as a faithful child of God, what Peter is saying is, you need to understand, you got reservations in heaven. When this world comes to an end, when it comes to a crashing halt, when life ceases to be here on planet Earth, you got a home in heaven waiting on you. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? He said, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And he said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Won't it be great one day to stand in the presence of the Lord and to hear him say, welcome home. Home. Got a good tone to it, doesn't it? Got a good ring. Welcome home. That's where we're headed. So, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, could I encourage you to come to Christ? Could I tell you today that if you'll obey the gospel, if you'll do what they did on Pentecost Day and they were instructed to repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus so that all their sins can be forgiven. If you'll do that, God will put you in the church. He'll make you a part of his family. If you'll be faithful until death, the promise is the crown of life, nobody can take that from you. Stephanos, the victor's crown. If you're here today, maybe your life's not what it ought to be. You're a child of God and you've struggled, fallen victim to temptation. Your life is spiraling out of control. Could I say, let's pray with you. Be happy to pray with you and for you. And you know what? God will abundantly pardon 1 John 1, 9. Be back in fellowship with God in the future, bright as bright can be. Won't you come as we stand and sing?